This program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, campers, to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your counselors, Woody Brown and Tyler Bentz. What's up, dude? The nasal congestion's gone, bro. I mean, you... I've been drinking a lot of water, okay? <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Camp Rad Strangeness is just rife with the sound of bulldozers outside, kids just being insanely loud downstairs. So we apologize, but we don't also. Well, you know, hey, this is kind of what happens with if you've ever been to summer camp. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of loud noises. You yeah. got to make sure everything is good to go for all the campers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we taking the skit too far? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of of Camp Rad Strangeness. Look, it's been going awesome so far. A real quick shout out to Clay, Christian, and Amy, who sent us direct messages, letting us know that they got their Camp Counselor t-shirts in the mail. In case you missed it, that was our limited edition, limited edition, limited small, edition. small batch t-shirt that we released only for the folks that are on our mailing list that we call The Dispatch, which mm-hmm. you can sign up by visiting our Instagram and going into the the, uh, the link in the bio, and you can sign up for it there. So if you missed out this year, sorry, but next year we will release another small batch mm-hmm. limited edition T-shirt. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, and that's our show, guys. We uh, <laughs> thank you. I mean, I was expecting the part where I thank them. Keep going. Yeah. You know, week after week, guys. We. <laughs> <laughs> When we came up with the idea of Camp Red Strangeness, you know, we kind of talked about our own personal experiences a little bit with the fact that we'd been to summer camp. Mm-hmm. And man, I got to thinking about that over the, you know, the last week or so. And it's like, I don't know about you, but I've got some pretty, I'd, I'd say funny experiences that happened to me at summer camp. Oh, I've got a couple too. I remember one time, well, this is kind of a cool connection to this episode, a nice little uh, synchronicity here. So I went to a camp here in Georgia. It was a Boy Scout camp called Camp Burt Adams. I think it's in like Covington, Georgia or something like that. Well, when you get there, one of the things that the camp counselors tell you about is the fact that one of the Friday the 13th movies, I think number six, was actually filmed there. Which, as you know, is the best one easily. Is it? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched him through. So I don't, um, I don't think I don't I've know. seen the sixth one. I don't understand how he's still alive. But, you know, of course, that kind of freaks you out. And you're like, oh, man. And then, of course, then that's whenever they start telling you scary stories and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. about, you know, whatever. That same year, I think I was probably 
I don't know, man, 14 or 15. One of the things that the Boy Scouts had at that time was a uh, kind of like a subset within the, the Scout organization called like Explorers. And Explorers could like include females and female counselors. Mm. So, now we're you know, we get that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you get there, you're at, you're at Scout camp. You're just surrounded by other dudes. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of troops are there. So you're talking thousands of you know, scouters, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the last thing you expect to see is a good-looking girl at this scout yeah. camp because it's like, I mean, it's going to be like an old lady who's teaching crafts up on the hill or it's going to be, uh, you know, Tim the Toolman Taylor mm-hmm. teaching you how to swim yeah. or whatever the case, right? So we show up and then, I'll never forget it, man, all of us were like, you know, cue the 80s music. This gorgeous girl mm-hmm. just like walks by in a scout uniform, we're like, oh, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she walks up to us, she introduces herself. Her name was Natasha, which, I mean, that's a classic 80s slash 90s hot girl name, right? Yep. And anyways, needless to say, everybody was in love. Certainly I was. And in my mind, I thought, you know, oh, yeah, Natasha loves me. She's the one. Anyway, every morning, like, all the campers go down to this assembly area that's kind of in this field that's sort of in the central part of the camp. And so like all the campsites are up on all sides of the hill. This thing's kind of like in a small little, I don't know, you wouldn't want to call it a valley, but like, you know, in a valley sort of. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to go to that area every morning to have the Pledge of Allegiance, I think maybe even like a morning prayer or something. Mm-hmm. Well, me and my buddies were kind of like sleeping in and we're like, well, we'll be down there in a second. Well, the scoutmaster, my dad, um, well, the scoutmaster, comma, my dad and some other adults, uh, you know, because my dad wasn't the scoutmaster, but they all go down there with some other like younger kids and stuff and they're up there early with their uniforms on and all this kind of stuff. Well, me and some of the older kids stayed back and we're like, man, you know, it'd be hilarious if we just yell at the top of our lungs, we love you, Natasha. Mm-hmm. Right? Have I told Have I told this story before? No, but I, I mean that okay. just sounds like something something would we would do, right? Because yeah. when you're 14, that'll get her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we kind of planned it out. We're like, all right, man. Right after the pledge, you know, when we see the flag go up, because it was too far for us to kind of hear anything going on. When we see the flag get to the very, very top, we're just gonna one, two, three, and yell it, mm. and see what happens. The flag goes up to the top of the flagpole. It's waving in the beautiful, glorious morning wind. The sun's coming up. It's just a beautiful morning. And then all of a sudden you hear, We love you, Natasha. (laughs) And we don't see anything happening down there. We're like, well, maybe she didn't, maybe they didn't hear us. Maybe we didn't yell loud enough. Let's try it again. Do it again. Three, two, one. We love you, Natasha. (laughs) Again, nothing. Some time passes. We're like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's just get ready. Scoutmaster, my dad, and those folks finally kind of wander back into camp. My dad's got a funny kind of like expression. Mm -hmm. The scoutmaster kind of makes an announcement. He's like, hey, I need to see everybody that stayed behind for the morning assembly. I need you to come here and circle around the campfire. Natasha was murdered in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the classic, uh, classic movie, but. So we get around the campfire, and he, and he goes, guys, I 
and he's got a he's got a little bit of a smile, but he's also you can tell he's kind of mad. He's like, I gotta I gotta be honest with you, I'm pretty embarrassed. And we're like, what what do you, what happened? Did and he's like, well, first off, uh, they kind of did things a little differently this morning. We raised the flag, and then um, that's when while someone was getting ready to finish the prayer of the day. <laughs> There is like a little pause in their prayer, and all of a sudden we hear, "We love you, Natasha." Now I got to tell you, kids, there's only one troop with people that didn't make it down there, mm. and everyone knows who it was. My dad starts kind of laughing a little bit, shaking his head, looking down at the ground because he just can't hold it in, you know. And then he said, "And then to top it all off, everyone down there." is kind of laughing. We we kind of like peek our eyes because everybody's like bowing their heads and, you know, being reverent. Mm-hmm. And we kind of look up, he said, right before the person was going to say amen came our second. We love you, Natasha. <laughs> and so they said that, you know, basically the guy wrapped up the prayer and was just like, and uh, dear Lord, please help Natasha today. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Oh my gosh, my dad laughed. Uh, eventually, Natasha actually wandered into our camp and, you know, was like, oh man, that's, uh, that was very cute. Uh, and, you know, she's like 18 or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and would later truth- go on to become Woody's wife. No, <laughs> yeah, no. Truth be told, she's probably not that good looking. But, you know, it's kind of like in the land of the blind, the guy with one eye right. is king kind of situation yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Any, uh, any good ones? Uh, any good summer camp? Uh, embarrassments for you? I mean, did you wake up with, uh, you know, I don't know, mac and cheese in your, in your pants? I mean, anything? <laughs> I don't know what that even means, but <laughs> I don't know. Either. Uh, I did, I did go on a Boy Scout trip and we had a kid in our, in our troop. And I cannot remember his last name. His name was Donald something. And he was a little bit of an anomaly because he was a guy who was like twice as big as everyone else, just a total bully, mm. just a jerk. But yeah. he had a speech impediment. And so, you know, which was probably a little bit of the reason that he was like sort of overcompensating by being like yeah. a bully, you know. Mm-hmm. And in our troop, his mom was our camp counsel was one of the camp counselors, the troop leaders, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so we went to Camp Rock Eagle here yes. in Georgia, which is awesome. Yeah, it really um, is. And I was pretty young. I was probably like maybe like nine or ten or eleven or so. And I remember Donald. And this also kind of reminds me of like the Christmas Story movie, where you know how there's like bad Bart, and then there's like who's like the main bully, and then he has like mm-hmm. a little little like henchman like crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Donald in our troop had another had a little kid who was kind of like that, also a jerk. Also kind of a bully because he knew that Donald would beat up anybody. So we, we were doing something at night. We were like going down by like this pond or something. So we had we had left the, we were sitting around a campfire, you know, telling stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one of the troop leaders was like, oh, well, let's go down and, you know, you can see frogs or, or something. I, can't, I really can't remember. But anyway, we did this. Donald was really pissing me off that day. He just like would not stop picking on me and I was like a pretty pretty small kid mm-hmm. um you know and uh I remember as petite. we were going do what petite <laughs> I was petite whereas Wood, Woody was husky 
Very uh, husky. <laughs> and uh, I, on our way down, I ran across and I grabbed Donald's backpack. And in view was a pack of marshmallows. I opened that pack, poured them all into Donald's backpack, wedged his backpack under like one of the, the rocks in the campfire so it would like heat up. Well, then we went down. Everything was cool. You know, we looked at frogs and, you know, wow, at night their eyes do this, whatever it was. Yeah. Come back, you know, start everybody sitting around. We're going to tell ghost stories or, or whatever. I can't, I, there's so many things that are kind of like missing in my memory. Mm-hmm. All I do remember is, hey, where did all the uh, marshmallows go? And somebody holds up an empty bag. Well, then to my chagrin, Donald's little lackey happened to see me do this. Um, it says, oh, well, Tyler poured them in, Don- in Donald's bag. So he, pu- he pulls the bag out, uh, which at this point is like piping hot, goes to unzip his backpack, opens it apart, and there's a giant melted single marshmallow in his bag. The entire oh, bag of marshmallows had like... Just one big glob. <laughs> just, just one giant marsh- melted marshmallow. So... That's my story. And but, I mean, what did he do then? Did he, like, jump on you and try to beat you up? Or, I mean, No. He, well, that was the thing. Like, he, like, you know, like I said, his mom was, like, one of the troop leaders. And oh, yeah. she was just kind of a asshole, too. And I don't know. I'm sure it made me, like, clean up camp or, you know, something. And then yeah. Donald just continued to be a, a bully. So just, I don't want to, you know, offend anybody named Donald. But uh, <laughs> that's a, such a... Like if I was writing a movie mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, we need a name for the bully. There he is. I'd probably pick Donald. Donald, yeah. Way to go, Donald. Mm-hmm. Sorry about your bag, Donald. <laughs> you know, speaking of Rock Eagle, we did something like that to a bully as well. Like it's always, you know, you said he was kind of an anomaly, but really I think it's pretty common. He was like the bigger kid. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like one of those like that was strong because he was fat. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just saw, like he was just strong and like lumberjack build. <laughs> yeah, and man, like I, I was always the kind of kid that was just like, well, I mean, we can try to be friends with him uh, uh, to a point, Me right? Too. Mm-hmm. And he did something, and I can't remember what it was, but again, this was at Rock Eagle. Man, maybe we were there at the same time. Maybe. Who knows? Well, not if you were nine. I was still overseas, but mm. he was just messing with everybody. And so, you know, one night. We kind of united and we're like, all right, we're going to get this kid. We had heard about this thing that you could do. If you get like a bucket or some kind of container, fill it up with warm water, oh, yeah. place the sleeping victim's hand into the water, mm-hmm. then legend has it that they will just completely wet the bed. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, Dude, we, got, we got to do it. And so we did. And, you know, say, you you're just, it's high, you're just high stress. You're sneaking around because you don't want this kid. I don't even remember his name, but it was probably Donald. Call, it Don, call him Donald, yeah. Yeah, the, our Donald mm-hmm. was sleeping, but we didn't want to wake him up because truthfully, you know, sure, I would have fought him, but I didn't want to get in trouble and get kicked out. And, you know, he, he probably would have just like stomped me, but yeah. I didn't care. So we snuck around. We kind of sneak in. We don't want to wake him up. And it's like... Maybe my memory. Maybe I'm just filling in the gaps here, but I feel like he like moved, and we're like, <gasps> mm-hmm. and then we kind of like snuck in closer, lifted up his arm, put his hand in this warm water, 
And then we all just like went back to our bunks and just like laid there. Well, and then just like not too long after that, we hear this, huh? What? And kicks up, like flings this bucket across the room. Water's just going everywhere. Uh, one of the, like the, I don't know if it was a scout or whoever it was, like chaperone, we'll say, comes into the room and is just like, what's going on here? Flicks on the light. All of us, man. Every single last one of us deserve an Oscar. We gave an Oscar-worthy mm. performance. We kind of were like, huh? Like rubbing our eyes like, oh, oh, God. So tired. What, what's going on? What, and pretending God, like we did didn't know what's do? going on. And so we somehow like kind of convinced the leader because I think at this point too, it was one of those situations where Donald was kind of along as like a favor. You know, he the leaders weren't too happy with this kid being around anyway. Mm, okay. And so like we were very easily able to be like, I don't know what Donald's talking about. Looks like he's trying to, I don't know, throw a bucket of water on us in the middle of the night, yeah. but we'd like to just go back to bed, please. And he just has like pee all over himself. Oh, so it worked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, we I've tried that so many times as a kid, and it, I mean, not to myself, but to others, and I don't think it's ever worked. Well, and I say, yes, it worked. He could have, when he flung the bucket, it could have got, but he had some... Oh. Yeah, he, he he was like wet in the pants. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't know. And that's the title of the episode, just wet in the pants. Wet in the pants. <laughs> you can't talk about summer camp mm-hmm. without talking about one of our favorite subgenres of horror movies, the summer camp slasher. Or thrasher, if you're Woody. Yeah, God. Don't remind me or the listeners about how I went an entire episode with Colin Movies Thrashers. Which, by the way, because of that, Almost every time, I cannot say slasher movie without yeah, no. initially saying thrasher movie. Yeah, there's a bunch of those type of things that happen with us, too. Like a kid, one of our kids will say something kind of wrong. We adopt that hilarious yeah. phrasing, and right. then we kind of can't remember the right way to say it. It's it's awful. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, it really is and always kind of has been one of my favorite sort of sub-genres of, of scary movies because like, I think we can all remember going to these camps, sitting mm-hmm. around a fire and telling these sort of scary stories or hearing scary stories from camp counselors and stuff, sometimes them being like, you know, legends of the area and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But so that, that like sort of feeling of being out in the woods and being scared kind of drew me in as a kid to these types of movies. And of course, obviously the first thing that pops into probably anybody's head when we say summer camp slasher is... Friday the 13th. Yeah. Right? But we kind of wanted to, or if you're super into 80s movies, maybe, maybe even Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. You've heard us talk about that yep. uh, movie on the show before. But, you know, we wanted to kind of, I don't know, explore some of the 80s movies that we may not be as familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did a little research and I wanted to find us a movie that is not going to be too low budge that it won't like you know i wanted to find a good summer Mm -hmm. camp slasher movie that we hadn't seen and i found this one that i had never heard of and i guess mainly because look it was released in 1981 and obviously as a one-year-old might have been a little young to watch it (laughs) (laughs) but it's called the burning Mm -hmm. and as i read the synopsis of the movie i thought man this sounds awesome first off i don't want to there will be no spoilers because I really do want 
you listener to check this movie out if you're into this type of movie because if you haven't seen it already i gotta say man it is in i will say top five summer camp slasher movies that i've ever seen yeah i agree i mean i i thought that it was awesome i mean the here's this sort of just like general synopsis basically it kind of starts out like most of them do where this guy who works at this fictional camp called camp blackfoot Mm-hmm. He's sort of the the camp caretaker. His name is Cropsy. And so the film opens. This guy is sleeping in his bed. These campers that are there decide that they want to play a prank on this guy. So they make this like skull and they have like, you know, a candle burning and all this like weird stuff going so that and like he worms wakes, in it. Yeah, like worms. So then he wakes up, he's going to be scared, right? Well, he wakes up, he knocks over that thing, and then his dang cabin or whatever just basically... Well, let me say also, he tries to like swat this skull, whatever, with candles in the eye sockets away, and it accidentally moves over to a full tank of kerosene that he has Mm. in his cabin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you're thinking of kind of safe places to put your can of kerosene. Oh, yeah. You know, next to the bed is rarely... Oh, for sure. Uh, ...the spot that you should go for in, mm-hmm. in terms of options. I mean, yeah. outside, perhaps, maybe, mm-hmm. hang, you know, in a shed specifically for ignitable fuel. Yeah. But anyhow, he chose wrong, unfortunately, and he burst into flames, and obviously this practical joke gone wrong. These campers, they don't admit to any wrongdoing here, mm-hmm. right? Years later, of course, this guy, Cropsy turns to the camp to take it revenge yeah. on teens in general. Okay. Yeah. What I thought was kind of cool about it too, again, not giving anything away, but his murder weapon is a pair of like garden shears. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of unique. A lot of times, of course, sleepaway camp, Friday the 13th, it's always mm-hmm. like a knife. You know? Or a hatchet. or Yeah, something yeah. like that. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, I, I, and I will say from sort of an artistic standpoint, like I don't necessarily think... Um, you know, I, I don't know that it would be the most sort of economical weapon, but there is something sort of iconic about, uh, you know, and boy, did they milk this pose, but like, mm-hmm. you know, seeing this like silhouette of like, mm-hmm. if you can imagine like two hands up above your heads with each handle, you know, on with this like, you know, opened garden shears, and then you just see it kind of like slam down out of frame. I mean, it is, it is definitely pretty iconic. Oh, yeah, man. And and unique, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Two other things that I thought were cool about this movie. Number one, it was rife with young stars, people that were going to be in a lot more movies. And then two, you had that 80s nudity. Oh, man, love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to throw it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a kid, of course, I would have been obsessed with this movie. I, I, you know, all the, the camp counselors there and the campers, and it's funny, you look at the IMDb and the sort of quote-unquote hot girls. Um, mm-hmm. One was like a Miss USA pageant uh, lady, and this was like basically the only movie she ever did. And then the other one was like a beauty queen, and then she only did like two things ever, and that was it. So they literally cast <laughs> just for that. Like, well, who can we get yeah. that uh, is going to be you know hot? But the young stars... That kind of shocked me because I just pressed play before essentially figuring out who was in the movie. Jason Alexander. Yeah. Listener, you'll know him from 
as George on Seinfeld amongst George Costanza, yeah. Yes. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beach. Uh, Leah, oh man, Fisher? No, no, no. Leah Aries? Who? Aries? She's the lady that played the reporter slash love interest in Bloodsport. Oh, yeah, right. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay, USA. A, a JCVD classic. Yeah. Brian Backer, who you'd know as the sort of nerdy, dorky guy in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm in love. The mustache coming in red. Yeah, this is the one that I, that we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. And I, and I was saying, like, I'm pretty sure this kid's wearing the same flannel shirt that he had on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. In Fast Times. Fisher Stevens, who played Ben... Jabituya in Short Circuit, The Plague in Hackers, and Iggy in Super Mario Brothers, the movie. He's been a ton of other stuff, a ton of TV shows. And yeah, he, he's like the little trickster kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. Like Woodstock. Woodstock. Yeah, yeah. The character's name is Woodstock. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. He's kind of like that. Like, if you can think, at least in my mind, if you can think of like a, if there was like um, an anthropomorphic version of like sort of the trickster, like coyote. Mm. And then put that in like human form. Something about him because he has like a really like big mouth, and he like kind of like he's just he's super charismatic, and he's kind of like yeah. I'm guessing he's like a New Yorker probably, uh, and he has this sort of like kind of gruff voice, even though he's this like little lanky kind of like skinny kid. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's yeah. great. And then this is actually Holly Hunter's first movie. I got to be honest with you though, no idea where she was. In that. I didn't. I didn't notice her either. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see her. And so I'll have to go back and kind of try to find where she was, but didn't see her, but this was the first film that she did, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. A couple things that I found out, and, you know, I don't want to give this away, and I don't want this to skew any bias, but probably the scariest part about this film is it was uh, produced by Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Jeez. But him and the guy who produced the... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre back in 74 uh, and Halloween in 78 apparently began swapping horror stories. They had both, you know, heard, obviously, of this legend uh, when he was in a, like a, a camper himself uh, in upstate New York. And apparently this story came out or, or this film was, was uh, in production before Friday the 13th ever even came out, mm. which is you know, pretty cool. And originally, mm-hmm. the title was "The Cropsy Maniac." Ah, uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And honestly, I will say, you know, like there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of the stuff that you kind of let slide on these movies, and and it kind of ma- the nostalgia kind of makes up for it. You know, it's like a lot of times there's some like pretty bad acting and yeah. pretty cheesy shots, and like I mean, this movie was like one and a half million dollars to make it, which is. I mean, pretty low even then. But, yeah. like, I got to say, dude, this movie, you know, knowing that it was, like, before Friday the 13th, it, it, mm-hmm. it kind of was the original summer camp slasher movie. And I think it was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, man, I agree, dude. And, I mean, there are some, like, some of the effects during, like, the killing scenes and stuff uh, well, certainly gruesome. So if, you know, if you're planning on watching this with a kid or something. Definitely I mean, don't. Oh, yeah, um, and whatever you would watch with them, if they are able to watch like a rated R movie, then okay. But definitely don't recommend this as family movie night. But yeah, a lot of teats yeah. also. Well, there's some some of the, there's some nudity, <laughs> and uh, 
the killing scenes are somewhat gruesome, but the, the effects were like, eh, you know, not the greatest. I thought but they were man, pretty the, awesome, man. They were pretty good. The pacing was awesome. Yeah. The the way that they used and utilized like the music to enhance sort of like the suspense and stuff, I thought was very, very, very well done. Well, I mean, it's, y- yes, I know what you're saying, but there's also like once I was kind of like cued into them doing this, like then you start being like, okay, this is a little, little ham fisted where like something will be going on. Everything's fine. And then it would be like the second that they're like, okay, we're, it's time to kick into like the... Hit the synth. Yeah, yeah, you hit that like sting, you know, that, that yeah. one note synth. This is like... Yeah, I think they cut like the buzzsaw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that tone. sine wave synth kind of thing. One thing that, that I will say that, I mean, they used it several times, but like they had this shot that I thought was like really, really brilliant. And I haven't seen it. In my memory, I, I can't remember seeing this particular shot, but like... So imagine there's a bunch of kids on the shore and I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not spoiling anything really, but like imagine there's, you know, your your group or your party is like on the shore and then you see like a boat out in the middle of the lake. Well, mm-hmm. obviously one member, you know, I think one or one or both times it's like the ca- the camp counselor goes to like swim to see what's in the boat and you can't see what's inside. You know, it just kind of shows it from from the side mm-hmm. and it keeps doing the shot where it'll kind of reverse the shot. So the camera's like looking from like the other side of the boat. So you see the boat, the side of the boat in the foreground. Then you see somebody like swimming out towards the camera, which I thought was really pretty, pretty kind of advanced, you know? And Mm -hmm. then as that person gets closer, I don't want to give it away, but there's something in the boat. And so it's like a really cool way of like, you know, as a viewer, you know that like, Man, there's something in the boat. Is it? A, yeah. Is it the killer? Is it somebody dead? And mm-hmm. it's just it's it was an interesting kind of way of like sort of raising tension, yeah. you know. And it was kind of a slow thing too, like you because you know swimming, you know, you're, it's pretty slow, you know, swimming. So it's like you're seeing this counselor like swim towards the boat, and you're just kind of like it's, it's sort of building, you, building, yeah, it's building. building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I and thought I th- that was a really cool, cool shot. Yeah, man. I also think the way that they did some misdirects and stuff here and there was really good yep. as well, you yep. know. With the and kid. Just, yeah, well, mm-hmm. I didn't want to. Well, know, I mean, it's a summer camp, say, so they don't know what kid we're talking about. Yeah, true. Well, okay, look, right whenever I first kind of started talking about this movie with Tyler, telling him the synopsis and stuff, being like, yeah, dude, we should watch this. And I kind of mentioned like, yeah, you know, it's uh, this guy, uh, his name's Cropsy, and he gets burned and whatever. He's like, whoa, 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 Cropsy? Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Man, is this like a? Yeah, I didn't read too far into here, but is this like another name for Bigfoot or what? <laughs> you know. And then, little did I know that by us kind of moving in this direction about summer camp slashers mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, and specifically finding and picking this movie, yeah, basically opened up a giant rabbit trail, big time for us to to head down. And yeah. um, what we unearthed was essentially this urban legend. It's called the Cropsy Legend. Yeah, my my wife, she's like a huge true crime person. So her and I kind of got into this documentary called Cropsy. And, man, it is it is fascinating and gruesome. And it's a rough story, but but it's, it's really cool. And like Woody was saying, like just the synchronicity of, you know, because there's not a lot really that's like – they really don't have much to do with each other, you know, but but the mm-hmm. fact of them kind of like 
creating this urban legend and using the name Cropsy for their, you know, their character mm-hmm. was pretty cool and a pretty good like jumping off point. So whenever we get back from the break, let's dig in a little more into this rabbit trail. We will return after these messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to That Would Be Rad. This program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. You know, one of the things that I love the most about urban legends is that around the globe, everybody has their own unique urban legends. And so when we learn about a new one, because we're not from that area, that's where I become super, super fascinated. Mm -hmm. So the urban legend of Cropsey basically originates in the New York State area. Mm -hmm. It's one that was told at summer camps and all around schools and was a pretty strong urban legend enough so that, you know, even someone like Harvey Weinstein, who no doubt probably attended some summer camps when he was a kid in that area, had heard it and used that to help inspire his movie, The Burning. And here's what's interesting. There's a bunch of sort of different details, much like any urban legend, right? We've all kind of sat around the campfire and heard I'm sure the one about being in a car and you hear like the guy, the man with the hook scraping the side of the, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's all these kind of different, different variants, um, but most of them all kind of involve the accidental death of a guy whose name was George Cropsey is what I found. Oh, really? And yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he is a relatively respected adult male who ends up going kind of crazy and insane after some sort of accident or tragic accidental death of his family and he then becomes what everyone would call the cropsy maniac oh that's that's interesting so that so that was actually Mm -hmm. like you know like i said before that was like the original name for the movie the burning but i didn't know that that was like what they actually called him yeah that's cool and most of the variants involve kind of like an accidental death of his children and often Mm. kind of as a cause of some sort of irresponsible camper that started a fire and resulting in their deaths or whatever. Hmm. After kind of disappearing for several weeks, essentially the Cropsey maniac then returns to take his revenge on the camp and the the camper's always kind of like, it's always that same kind of thing that, again, I feel like created this urban myth, this urban legend 
created what we know as the summer camp slasher because what happens is the campers tend to find a lone victim in the woods who's already been killed by the murderer and then kind of slowly but surely if anybody kind of wanders off on their own they get picked off which that is just like in a way such an overused trope but it's also genius because it works every single time Mm -hmm. yeah it also kind of like a lot of these sort of almost you know you can use it as cautionary tales sort of thing Mm -hmm. it's sort of does a couple things. It's almost like, okay, make sure that you're not irresponsible with fire and that you're not pranking other people and that you stay together in the woods and as a don't group go out and don't wander dark. off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, I had, th- this is all kind of new to me. I didn't know this, this was sort of part of the actual sort of urban legend was like the camp and like the burning mm-hmm. thing. Yep. In the legend itself, after they've kind of discovered a dead body, one or two of them, the camp counselor then is kind of like, protecting the campers, trying to alert the authorities. Finally, the authorities come. You know, they're barely able to escape, and the police shoot this guy multiple times, almost like implications that he can survive these sort of mortal wounds. and Like a supernatural almost. Exactly. Yeah. And then ultimately kind of disappears, and his fate is sort of uncertain. Because it's sort of left open-ended, can then be told again and again and again, and that he could potentially still be out there. So, I mean, that is basically sort of like the gist of the main legend. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is that urban legend kind of sounds familiar with other sort of summer camp slasher legends that I heard whenever I was a kid around the campfire. You know, it's always somebody gets hurt, they're coming back to get revenge. And like we said earlier, you know, don't wander off stick close together, mm-hmm. be alert, you know, something's lurking in the woods. But again, almost every single summer camp slasher movie revolves around something like this. I mean, certainly Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. Uh, and all those movies. Which is kind of like, I mean, I can't think of, you know, when when we were kids, like I can't imagine being like, oh, yeah, let's split up. I don't know that that ever you know, you were kind of always with like your little group of, yeah. you know. I mean, certainly the woods were a lot scarier, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, as innocent as we were about when we were kids and not afraid of certain things, like something about the dark woods kind of made you not want to be mm-hmm. out on your own. But I mean, like, you know, there were certain times like, man, I got to go to the bathroom. Well, I mean, I don't, blah, blah, blah. you know, and you might just wander yeah, off on your own. But I mean me like i was a little bit of a scaredy cat when i was a kid man i i wouldn't have wandered off on my own i'd be like well i'll just pee behind the tent <laughs> you know <laughs> i'll just pee right outside this the front floor. i had a little too much tapioca my tummy's not feeling good too mm. bad i'll just throw up right outside <laughs> don't worry guys <laughs> oh man true story yeah i kind of feel like you know for me kind of the extent of like the knowledge of the Cropsey myth is, I mean, basically based on the documentary titled Cropsey. It came out in 2009, written and directed by Joshua Zeman and Barbara Brancasio. And to me, I I mean, they kind of go into that, you know, but, you know, like we were saying yesterday, they go pretty quick into, you know, a real life character who, you know, like less... Less of it being an urban legend, more of it being like, no, we know this guy that did these like true, 
you know, gruesome, gruesome, you know, murders. Man, I really do kind of want to talk about the brilliance of this documentary. Mm -hmm. Again, it's called Cropsey, and that's about Mm C-R-O-P-S-E-Y. And I got to it's as creepy as a a scary movie is or would be. I mean, the way that they kind of um, shoot certain scenes and stuff, you're like, man, it's it's very, very creepy. And, And like you said, it started out as a means to kind of explore this urban legend and then it gets uncovered pretty quickly that within this, um, oh God, within like Stanton Island, yeah, uh, they kind of talk about the history of Stanton Island a little bit, which is actually pretty interesting as well. I think you mean Staten Island. Staten, that's what I said. Sounds like Staten. Staten, Staten Island. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and, you know, the early 80s and how basically this local sort of boogeyman type legend had some pretty strong parallels with this dude named Andre Rand. What you find out watching this documentary, again, I'm not going to give a ton of away because I, I really want our listeners to, to watch this. It's It was very well done. I think actually this guy, Joshua Zeman, I think he's the guy behind the new sort of like hit Netflix documentary, um, is it Summer of Sam or... Yeah, the Summer of Sam killer, I think. Yeah, he he just did that. Oh, really? Oh, no, no, no. You're talking... Or like... Uh, sons of Sam. Sons of Sam. Hold on. Yeah, the Sons of Sam. Descent into Darkness. Yeah. Mm. He um, he directed it. Oh, wow. Cool. In the documentary, you find out there's this man named Andre Rand. And Rand worked in the 80s as a janitor at this place called Willowbrook State School, which is on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for folks like myself and Tyler, and again, because we were so young at this point in the 80s, it doesn't ring a bell to me at all. And so luckily with the documentary and then also just doing our own research to learn more about the state school, it becomes more and more kind of like even more scary. So initially, the school itself opened in 1938 as a home for disabled children. And then during World War II was actually used as an army hospital. And then after the war, of course, reopened again as the Willowbrook School. And uh, the population of students, I mean, this is a fact that was in the documentary that I could not fathom, actually. I mean, at the time, 5,300 patients were in this. It was the largest mental health facility of its kind in the world. Mm -hmm. The fact that it was called a school is a little kind of, it does a disservice to the word and everything that it means to say the word school. Basically, the reason I said that is it was nothing more than just like kind of a holding place or a warehouse where they can just put developmentally disabled kids Mm -hmm. and people. And Robert F. Kennedy actually, I think, visited back in 1965. And I think uh, particularly at Willowbrook that we have a situation that borders on uh, a snake pit and that the children live in filth, uh, but uh, many of our fellow citizens are suffering. And so there's this, and they show kind of clips of it in the documentary, but 1972, very young Geraldo Rivera did an expose on the horrific conditions inside this Willowbrook State School. And this was probably the hardest thing to watch. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, just, um, I mean, it's it's rough because what ended up happening in the way that Geraldo got in there was that a physician that worked there snuck him a key and Geraldo was able to get in with a camera, like a single-man camera crew, mm. and go in. 
when you see these scenes in this documentary, horrible. And then, I mean, just imagine walking into, and we'll put pictures of this uh, building up in the artifacts uh, this week, but walking into this gigantic building. I mean, imagine a building that can hold 5,300 patients, mm-hmm. this huge old building where almost no lights are on. And so the only light that you can see these folks who are just littered around the floor, some of them clothed, some of them not. Just writhing around in their own feces. In their own feces and filth and trying to, you know, at the time when he did this, I think he said that the patient to staff ratio was one staff member to every 50 patients. Now, man, when I heard that too, also staggering because I worked at a mental health facility Mm -hmm. for many, many years. And, you know, folks with needs need a lot of staff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so this place had had a lot of cutbacks and, you know, all this kind of stuff that led to them having very, very low staff members. Nobody was getting taken care of. It, it's just horrific. And, and, and the expose footage, I mean. You can find that on YouTube too, by the way. Boy, you. The whole thing. You. It, it doesn't even look like the staff is even, like, doing anything. Like No. Like what he was saying, there's there's literally no lights on. It's like just these kids just completely naked. Not mm-hmm. just kids, but, you know. I mean, there are some, adults. like, really young kids yeah. to adults. And they're just like, you know, there's feces everywhere, urine everywhere. And they're just kind of like no clothes on. Uh, mm-hmm. You see kids, like, huddled up. Cause, I mean, obviously it looks like they're freezing cold. It, it was it was really awful. Um, one yeah. thing that I thought was interesting about the Cropsey documentary, whenever they go into the Geraldo uh, Rivera expose, is uh, you know they're kind of talking about how Staten Island is. It has like I think it's the largest in the nation, the largest landfill. So mm-hmm. all the trash from New York is put in this in this landfill. And apparently there were a couple comments that you could even see it from space. It's such a wow. big landfill, which is kind of crazy. But they talk about how, like, if you're in the mob and you get killed, you dump you dump the body on Staten Island. If you're mm. all the trash from New York, you, you dump the trash in Staten Island. So they were kind of using that as a parallel of saying, like, oh, well, all these unwanted, you mm-hmm. know, kids with developmental issues and unwanted, yeah, just dump them in this place. Yeah, this is where people dumped them, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah, certainly seems that way. Uh, one thing well, I got to say, that, uh, not to be insensitive, but I love the fact as a designer that Geraldo's expose, which is serious and like pretty dark and <laughs> use the font that we use on everything that we do, right, which yeah. immediately kind of makes you smile when you see it. So that was a weird sort of... Yeah, especially <laughs> at that intro or whatever. Yeah, juxtaposition on that, yeah. So after this expose it obviously ignited this national scandal in the school officially i mean think about how long it took after that but 15 years mm-hmm. that's how long it took for it to officially close well one of the people that worked there was a janitor named andre rand mm. and after it officially closed that same year andre rand was arrested in connection with the disappearance of a young girl named Jennifer Schweiger, Mm -hmm. who was a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome. And at the time, Rand was homeless and taking the creepiness to the next level, essentially. He lived in this, like, makeshift sort of campsite on the grounds of this abandoned school. Yeah. And 
Apparently, too, not too far from this was the Seaview Hospital that is closely, also closely tied to this, like, Cropsy legend. Because there are these underground, a network of, like, underground tunnels and stuff mm-hmm. underneath this Seaview Hospital. Yeah, um, yeah, and one of the things that's, there's just something that's so creepy about that. But then also, you know, they talk about in the documentary of, you know, a lot of the say there were kids back when Willowbrook was running, you know, developmental issues or not mentally all there. A lot of them were left and out of confusion or out of familiarity, a lot of them would just had kind of come back to just kind of squat in this, in this, you know, abandoned gigantic building. Well, not even gigantic building, but also, uh, the the grounds that this place set on it was 365 acres jeez yeah which is pretty massive especially when you start looking into a lot of the, the you'll get into it but a lot of people kind of go missing and it's like that's a lot of area to to yeah. disappear on basically after this young girl disappeared um Jennifer Schweiger it took i think over a month or so to the community really did buy, like kind of come together yeah, and which was cool. they searched and searched and searched and they found her body uh, buried in a, a shallow grave on the school grounds, pretty close to where Randall was, was living. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was charged with murder. One of the reasons I think why they were so quick to kind of bring him in as the primary suspect was by then he'd already had a long rap sheet of crimes against children. In 1969, he was sentenced to 16 months in jail for the attempted... Um, whew, so gross to say this kind of stuff. I know. He was in 16 months in jail for the attempted sexual assault of a nine-year-old girl. Yeah. In 1983, he went to jail again after kidnapping a bus full of children from the local YMCA yeah. and driving them to an airport. Which, by the way, that was such an interesting scene where oh yeah where they interview one of the kids that was on the bus yeah they interviewed this guy who obviously he's an adult now and the way he tells it is like he said yeah this bus just pulls up and all the kids are just kind of out playing out in the street and then they're just sort of like okay time to get on the bus yeah that was really just i mean that takes a lot of a lot of balls to and yeah no kidding and I mean, several things that I couldn't find, but I'm super interested. First, where did he steal this bus from? Yeah. Second, I, I think the 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 guy that was then an adult after when they were interviewing him, kind of said that like I think he said something like, "Hey, yeah, you know, we got." I think he lured them in with promises of like candy or ice cream or mm-hmm. something like that, and they all just got on the bus and started driving. Well, but then didn't he end up like? Because uh, I think I think he's th- this kid, well, guy now, but said that like he thinks that like he kind of realized that he had bitten off more than he could chew and so he ended up like taking him to like a playground or something or maybe at the airport even Mm -hmm. like because he said wherever they ended up they were like playing like hide and seek and stuff jeez which is just bizarre this is kind of one of those cases too it it reminds me of a, a case that happened here locally in atlanta in the 80s where this guy was convicted and i think there's still that's one of the things that the documentary kind of like in a way leaves you and feeling and that is did they arrest the right guy did yeah. they just kind of put all this stuff on a guy who was clearly uh, deranged has some sort of mental illness stuff that he's dealing with mm-hmm. and you know kind of has a history 
of these things? Or is this killer still at large, essentially? Because at the end of the day, they didn't really have any physical evidence to charge him. But they also already kind of suspected him in disappearances of at least four other kids that went back more than a decade. But also everybody remembered that this is in the 80s. This is right during the satanic panic panic. of the 80s. Mm -hmm. And on these grounds, in the abandoned building, they would find satanic symbols and essentially stories of well, a bunch of the other kind of, would you call them vagrants? I mean... Yeah, kind of drifters or... Yeah, drifters and homeless. And, and again, like Tyler was saying, some of the folks that when this hospital closed, a lot of these kids, a lot of these adults had nowhere to go. So they would end up in other shelters. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the place that they called home for so many years that it was familiar to them and they wandered back. Yeah. And then they found like, oh, well, there's like a little bit of a kind of like a shanty town, if you will, mm-hmm. a homeless sort of camp and started living there. Some of the folks would tell the police detectives and stuff that there was definitely some devil worship stuff and and going on. Mm-hmm. There was definitely some like scary ritualistic type things that were going on. Potentially there are theories that maybe Rand even would kidnap these victims and sort of share them with the other homeless. Yeah, that was one of the things that I found interesting, too, is they said that he was kind of like, you know, sort of rumored to be like somewhat of like a ringleader of like a little, you know, not necessarily like a cult, but like a little group of like people that would kind of follow him around. Like he was he was kind of like a leader. I thought that was pretty interesting, especially if you look at it in the sense of like, you know, there are all these people who are sort of disabled or Mm-hmm. you know have developmental issues you know mental issues and stuff they would kind of do whatever he said yeah and another thing that's just kind of unnerving certainly for the victims families at this point even still is that he refuses to kind of talk even within the documentary they try to get him to talk and he just kind of strings these people along almost like he's kind of i don't know like masterminding this plot to kind of i don't know man it was very first off whenever i first saw the picture of this guy it's pretty scary looking yeah and a lot of these kids that went missing nobody ever recovered any bodies or Mm -hmm. or you know anything like that so some of his alleged victims one is in 1972 a five-year-old named alice Pereira vanished after her brother had left her alone for just a moment they were playing in the lobby of a building on the island and the brother left her alone for just a second and poof, vanished. Man, that's horrible. Never, never seen again. In 1981, a 7-year-old Holly Ann Hughes did not return home after going to the store to get a bar of soap with her friend. Andre Rand pulled up to Holly and her friend and pulled Holly into his Volkswagen and drove off with her. It's weird, too, because they would go back and show these, like, like photos of the area, you know, I guess just just photos taken of like where these things happened and like way off in the background you would see like a little Volkswagen Beetle. And like in the news interview where they were talking about uh, one of the missing kids, like right in the background you see another kid who ends up going missing later. Only 12 days after Rand was released from prison after hijacking that 
school bus and picking up all those kids, 11-year-old Tahis Jackson mm-hmm. basically was reported missing after her mother had sent her to purchase food and didn't return. Again, this was right after he'd been released. He was back out in the open. In 1984, Hank Gaforio was reported missing after he did not return home one night. He was described by, I guess, you know, family members and stuff as kind of being, quote, slow mm-hmm. and having a low IQ. I think Tahis had some issues as well, too. Yeah, I think all of them had some, yeah, mental health issues yeah. or even um, physical disabilities. Yeah, well, like Schweiger had Down syndrome. Right. Um, so, but the the Gaforio kid, that's, that's the one I was talking about, where they, I think Tahis, they were talking about, a newscaster was like on the air and then in the background you see that um hank gaforio just standing there and then i don't know a month later or so he would also mm-hmm. disappear which is yeah kind of and he was kind of like older which is a little bit it's not just kids right yeah. so he he was i think 21, yeah, 21 when he was allegedly kidnapped again eyewitnesses basically reported last seeing gaforio in a local diner with rand wow and then his body was never found man so I think one of the things that the documentary really does well is kind of showing that even though there was an urban legend that existed before this, man, there are things and people out there that are just as terrifying that back then really did this. It's like a Mm -hmm. true monster, you know? Yeah, truly. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I got to say that, that, and I, man, I can't, I didn't write the woman's name down, but the the lady that kind of took it upon herself to kind of be sort of mm-hmm. like a, I mean, a real sort of hero, uh, you know, in the hunt for these missing kids. Yeah, she was awesome. If man. you watch Cropsy, you'll see. And I thought it was really, really cool because on this uh, documentary you have, um, you know, you'll see the parents of these missing children talk. And then all throughout you're, you're seeing this woman who's, who, you know, is continually talking about, oh, we were digging, you know, we had, we had, you know, searched the area for months and we had dug in this area and we had done this. Um, and it's just this one woman who kind of like sort of championed this cause and uh, kind of, you know, led the community in this, in these like search, you know, kind of forming these search parties to mm-hmm. find these missing children. And I love that, like, when it finally, when you finally, because the whole time I was sort of like, well, who is this woman? Like, why, you know, you would think that the person who would champion these things would be like the mother of a mm-hmm. missing kid or or a father or something. But, you know, it's just this random woman. But then it, it's cool because it, it shows her in her home and she's like, you know, basically I started this because I just, I had such a strong feeling of how I would feel if if, my, if this happened to my kids. And it shows her next to her son who is mentally and physically disabled uh, and I thought that was just really cool because it's like, yeah. I'm sure that, that that weighed in on her passion, her passion yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, man. And, you know, I don't know whenever I kind of boil it all down. Number one, super interesting that I'd never heard of this. I'm sure it got a lot of national attention for sure. Mm-hmm. It may or may not have been the, the spark that ignited the summer camp slasher movie um, subgenre there and all that. But, gosh, man, I don't know what's scarier, the fact that, somebody did all this and is in prison and that kind of character can exist in your life or that the wrong person's imprisoned even though they also did scary stuff and that the killer never was caught yeah yeah man and there's so much more to the story that that is even creepier that that you know 
you will find out a little bit more of in the documentary. But essentially, I mean, they're like I kind of mentioned earlier, there's tunnels and, mm-hmm. you know, essentially homeless folks lived in there. Andre Rand, that's actually not his real name. He changed it. He grew up, his his childhood is very, I'll say strange. His mother um, had some mental disabilities and stuff, and I think he resented her. And so there's theories that essentially, you know, maybe he was hurting people that had disabilities because he felt like he wanted to get rid of them in the world and stuff. I mean, truly, truly psychotic stuff. One thing, though, that I was going to ask you about, you know, when it first shows him, there's like a video and there's some still shots. When they're first like pulling him out of court, I guess the first time when he was sentenced, Mm -hmm. you know, he looks like he's in like this sort of fugue state. You know, there's like spittle. He's like drooling. And I was going to ask you, do you think that he was kind of playing that up a little bit? I don't know, man, because you look at other pictures and... Well, when he was older, though, when it shows him much later, he looks a whole lot more sort of put together, put together a little, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm not sure, man. It's there's, there's a lot of questions that kind of pop in my head, you know, like how many of the homeless lived in those tunnels? Mm-hmm. Was he just kind of putting all this still on? Are people still there now yeah. hiding amongst these like ruins? Because you can still go to that building. Yeah. In fact, in the documentary, they go at night, which is also just like a terrifying scene. Oh, yeah. But they run into like some teenagers that have come out there to kind of like, you know, spook themselves and kind of drink and smoke. Look around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, why did he change his name? Mm -hmm. He was born Frank Ruchan. Did he act alone? Will he ever confess? What was his motive? I mean, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's a terrifying story. It's even more terrifying that it's an urban legend that almost seemingly came true in a way. You know, yeah, yeah he doesn't have a hook for a hand or use garden shears that I know of, but you know, it's terrifying, man. Yeah, it really is. One thing too, uh, just before we wrap up, you know, if you don't go and watch the documentary, which again we urge you to because it's awesome, and we urge you to go watch the burning as well because they're both pretty awesome. But you know, we keep talking about these tunnels and like. You know, earlier we're talking about this Willowbrook Learning Center or school or whatever. It wasn't just one giant building. It was like these sort of buildings all within this 365-acre grouping of, of like buildings and stuff. So I think all these tunnels that run underground, I think they run to each of all these different sort of buildings, which, I mean, that is... It's mm-hmm. just, it's so scary. Like, Yeah, man. I mean, you really can't think of anything that's... It's more scary. I mean, it, this goes way beyond the, you know, the the spookiness of the the urban legend of like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, this guy was burnt and then he was had a hook for a hand. And I mean, this is like like an asylum with tunnels underneath it and like actual kids disappearing. And it, it was pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, even in 1972, when you see the footage from that Geraldo expose, mm-hmm. it looked the buildings dilapidated. Dilapidated, oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it is just falling apart. Just imagine what the inside of those hallways look like now. Yeah. That's terrifying. Right. I, I mean, you could, there's not, I don't think there's a dollar amount. Well, I say that. And I was going to say, I don't think there's a dollar amount that could get me in there mm-hmm. uh, at night with a flashlight. Yeah. You know, it's kind of fun to get spooked. Um, and Hopefully everybody's got their summer camp slasher movies queued up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. A lot of them 
you know, aren't necessarily based on true, scary, true crime, but we found it so interesting that this, looking into the movie The Burning kind of led us into discovering this urban legend, which then led us to discovering or rediscovering for you this documentary that's so well done. Oh, yeah. I, I got to be honest with you. Right after I saw that stuff at dinner time, my kids and I had a discussion. Hey, let's just play a scenario out. Someone drives up and says, hey, and then maybe even they know your name, but it's a stranger. Hey, uh, I've got some candy for you. Come over here in the car. Or, hey, I need your help. We had a whole thing about it, man, because oh, <laughs> I, it's just scary, man. You know, like, is this where, I mean, not only did this potentially, like, spark the summer camp slasher, maybe. Did it also potentially spark all of those things that our moms used to tell us stranger in the danger. 80s? Yeah, man, like, hey, don't walk up to a car. You know, maybe this being on national television was what kind of, like, started all of that. Yeah. I don't know. But the important thing is I had that conversation with my kids because I didn't want anybody yanking them in their car and, you know, whatever. Well, cool. Well, we say it every single week, folks. We could not be more appreciative of the fact that you take the time to listen to our show. It really means the world to us. Mm-hmm. Tell a single friend. You're going to say this stuff, I thought. You can say it this time if you want. Well, yeah, well, you always blame me for taking that away from I me. want you to do it this time. Okay, crapsy. And, you know, one way that you guys can help us out, well, there's a couple different ways that you can help us out. Obviously, number one, keep listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Number two, make you know, all you got to do is tell one person about us. You just you stole know, it maybe, from me. You son of a gun, you told me to, you <laughs> told me to steal it from me. Keep going, keep going. Um, you know, just tell one person about our show, you know, leave a review on iTunes. Again, that helps us get discovered. And Tyler, where is the best place for people to interact with us? Well, I'm going to go ahead and apologize because there's now a chainsaw outside my door. So if you're hearing that, that's what that is. Uh, best place to find us is Instagram. Uh, we love the back and forth. We love the little growing community, uh, that's happening on there and, um, you know, if you want to tell us some stories, hit us up at that would be rad pod at Gmail for more sort of long form stuff. If you want to record a voice memo of you telling a spooky story, eventually we'd love to play some of these that we've gotten. So if you have any weird stuff, the more the merrier. Or funny summer camp stories. Or funny summer camp stories, any of that stuff. You know, like what he said, we're super appreciative of you guys. You guys are awesome. We couldn't do it without you. Yeah, so just keep on keeping on and we'll keep on keeping on too so uh like i always say we love you we appreciate you and as always be rad
clouds in a time where I just needed some sunshine You were already dead before you became a ghost You always said our future would be a parade of flowers But now all that's left is a single rose That's the way Do you hear that shit outside?